Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody, and thank you so much, Kelly, for joining me today on today's uh, CISO Insiders uh, episode. Uh, today, I'm speaking with Kelly McCracken. Kelly is the current um, Senior Vice President of Detection and Response over at Salesforce. And um, maybe you can you know, step in, introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourself and your journey. Sure. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, so my name is Kelly McCracken. I have been at Salesforce for about eight years leading our detection and response capability. I started my career over 20 years ago uh, focused on incident response. I had my first uh, project outside of college was um, one of my job was at Booz Allen Hamilton to create an incident response handling guide for the federal uh, departments and agencies. And this was like a little flip book guide. And at that time, there weren't a lot of security incidents being reported publicly. And um, you know, a lot of uh, organizations didn't have in-house incident response teams. They were not um, really knowing, having that visibility into their organizations as to what was going on. And so I had the opportunity to learn on the job of how to do incident response. And I got really interested in it. And so I took that and ran with it and became a, um, a subject matter expert in incident response planning and developing security operations centers. And so I did that for multiple years within, within the government and uh, then took it to the private sector when I worked for Mandiant for a few years, um, helping them support their customers and building their incident response programs. And then I had the opportunity to uh, come and do it in-house at Salesforce. Okay, thank you for uh, that uh, introduction and context. And, you know, before we get into the, that list of questions that I have and I typically follow, I always like to start off with a couple of icebreaker questions. Uh, are you willing to, if you're willing to share your marital status and favorite drink, that would be awesome. <laughs> sure. I am happily married uh, and have uh, two small children who keep me busy uh, when I'm outside of work. And my favorite drink, I think it would depend on the time of day. So I um, obviously enjoy coffee in the morning and then I switch to probably sparkling water. And at night, um, I usually have a glass of wine. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. Um and um, so, you know, looking back at your career, um, and I'm not sure I remember how many years you're in, uh, how many years uh, you're in the industry, I think around, uh, well, whatever it is, whatever the number is, uh, when you look back at it, uh, what do you think um, you wish you had known when you first started? Yeah, it's really about how important um, building relationships and partnerships is uh, when I first started in security, there was this whole issue with no one wanting to share or being nervous to share that they had any type of security issue. And um, today it is expected that you are transparent and that you do share. And it's not just about making a press release, but 
it really does take a village to respond in with incidents becoming more interconnected and whether it's a supply chain attack or experiencing an incident um, uh, from a threat actor that others have been responding to or needing logs from a vendor, it really takes established relationships to be able to get things done. And I think the pandemic made this a little bit harder for us uh, because of having to do those um, virtual happy hours or networking events to really build those relationships. But uh, I recently had the opportunity to attend RSA a few weeks ago, and I would say that you know networking is back to the pre-pandemic levels, and people um, are really excited to start connecting again. Yeah, for sure. It was really busy at RSA. I mean, uh, you, you could hardly schedule a meeting in advance with all the ad hoc meetings that, you you know, just meeting people that you know in the street and in and outside the Moscone Center. Uh, yeah, that's been a good experience as well. Um, but um, so, but for our young listeners out there that are not in the industry right now, and, you know, they understand, let's assume they understand the importance of networking and building relationships. What would your suggestions to them be? Like, how do they, uh, how do they start? Um, I would, you know, if I was starting, I would say that um, I would get as much experience as possible in a wide array of areas. So, um, you know, I think one of the best ways to do that is to probably go into uh, working for a, a consulting company or contractor uh, because you're given opportunities to do all different types of things versus if you just go into a company to have one specific role, you're only going to be most likely focusing on that area. Um, other, other ways is going to a small business where you will have multiple roles that you have to fill just because of the, the size of the company. Um, but really it is saying yes and getting as much experience as you possibly can. So you get that good foundation as to um, across multiple areas, but then you can start focusing on the area that is most of interest to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how would uh, you recommend they go about um, um, advancing and creating and building their network early, st well, early on? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, joining various nonprofit organizations that are out there, um, finding a mentor to help connect you to others within the industry. Um, but really, you know, for a lot of people, it may be them going outside their comfort zone just to, to reach out and say, hey, I'm I inter inter interested in your career and what you have completed. And I would like to um, get to know you better. And But really just, you know, reaching out connecting with people through networking events and, um, you know, uh, organizations like women in security or women in technology are great ways to connect with people. Okay. Thank you for that. And, uh, so you mentioned that you, you, you wish you'd known that like, uh, how important building relationships and then, and growing your network was, uh, but, and looking back at your career, what would you say your biggest failure was and what did you learn from it? So, uh, this, I would say I get asked this question a lot from, you know, people I mentor. And um, I would say I I have this one go-to scenario is that back in May 2020, uh, I believe it was Memorial Day weekend, we were about two to three months into the pandemic and everyone was stuck at home, not really doing anything except for, you know, picking up new hobbies like virtual happy hours or virtual game nights, baking bread or learning a new craft. And um my incident response team was actively responding to uh, what they didn't realize was the red team. I knew 
as part of our rules of engagement that it was the red team. Um, and we said that we we wouldn't burn out our incident response team on red team engagements as part of that rules of engagement. And I decided to have them proceed through the weekend, bringing people in from on call. Um, and when they determined that it was red team, the whole team was pretty upset with me. And I thought it was something that they would be interested in pursuing because, um, you know, it, a lot of them do uh, security or coding or things on the side as a hobby. And so I thought that it would be an interesting for them to to have this opportunity to really respond to what, you know, quote unquote, was a malicious actor, but really was our red team. Um, and they were not, they did not see it that way. Um, and so I realized that that Monday after um, that I had, I had messed up. And so I took the, the time to write an apology letter to the team um, saying that I was wrong. And my manager at the time asked, why did I, why did I write that apology letter? Why did I feel like it was needed? And I felt that in a time that the world was going through something that we've never experienced before, I was really making those assumptions. Um, and I put a lot of stress on my team and I needed to, I needed them to know that I, I had made a mistake and I realized it. Um, and you know, they didn't really need that additional stress on them that everyone was already feeling, um, based on what was going on in the world. Okay. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and you know, looking at that, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was throughout your, your career? <clears throat> Honestly, it was getting my job at Salesforce. Um, when I was initially reached out to by my hiring manager on LinkedIn, I was working for Mandiant at the time, and he was looking for a lead incident responder, something that I definitely wasn't. I had been doing incident response planning, security operations planning my entire career, but I had never actually done incident response, uh, hands-on keyboard. Um, and so I didn't have the qualifications he was looking for, for that role. But uh, instead of just turning away, I actually said, um, here's what I can do for you because I can't do that. And what I offered him was something that they hadn't even thought of, um, how to mature their incident response program. And so I, um, you know, if I had just turned away at that point, my career trajectory would have probably been very different than what it is today because I was able to sell myself um, for a position that uh, was not originally um, there, he, uh, I was able to then become the senior manager over our Amer CERT at Salesforce, which was um, back then about a team of tw uh, 12. And um, today I'm leading a team of over 200 um, that I have you know, grown in the last eight years. So um, I would say that is my, my biggest accomplishment is that I said no, but and really um, didn't turn away from an opportunity. And I think too many people turn away when they can't check the box on every single uh, bullet point in a job description. Mm -hmm. And why, why do you think that is? Do, do you think that's because people fear uh, the imposter syndrome too much or they feel it uh, too heavily, weighing too heavily on them? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of imposter syndrome um, or that you're going to get into a position that you're not going to be able to be successful in. And so if you can't check every box, then um, you may be fearful that uh, your performance will be rated um, poorly. But, you know, I think anyone you talk to would say where you've learned the most is on the job. 
So if you can't check those boxes, you probably would be learning them on the job and be able to check them later. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Interesting. And um, so I know you've uh, you've already given a piece of advice a piece of advice to uh, our young listeners out there, the ones that want to pursue a career similar to yours, with the exception of you know starting broad and then finding your interest and and you know diving in. Do you have any other uh, advices you could uh, share? Um, I would say you know uh, make sure that you are staying in touch with. Uh, your 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 network um, because you never know when you're going to have to leverage your network and in the security community uh, you know there are definitely a lot more security professionals today than there were uh, 20 years ago but the community is still pretty small and so um, you can definitely uh, leverage those to be able to, to connect to others um, also just you know keeping track of all of your accomplishments uh, it's really easy to have those successes and move on, um, but uh, it's good to you know keep that list and look back at, at all your accomplishments that you've had because it, it can, you know, one it helps you with your your resume, um, but you know as you're, you continue your career, you probably will forget some of those accomplishments along the way. Okay, thank you. And uh, in your uh, you know professional career, uh, so you, you've you've moved uh, from one position to another and you grew. What were the best resources that you've used? I mean, was it more along the lines of uh, academic uh, courses? Was it was it more along the lines of certifications, on-the-job training? Um, some of it has been through definitely uh, various training, whether it was uh, technical training focused on incident response or it was uh, through leadership programs that I have done at Salesforce or at universities, it really helped me um, get a, a solid foundation for both uh, security and response. But um, having a, a coach, which um, I have been uh, able to have for the past few years, has really also helped me, helped me identify those areas that I really need to work on and how I can and get through different scenarios. Um, so, you know, finding a coach or a mentor or an advisor is, is definitely a, a, a good way to help you grow your career. Okay. And do you think for young listeners out there, like, uh, what options do they have in your opinion to seek out mentors or coaches? Um, I mean, there's definitely different, uh, leadership institutes out there that do provide them. Um, they, there's obviously a fee with them, but uh, some of the nonprofit organizations, women in technology, women in security, um, other organizations out there, uh, they have their programs built into those nonprofits that you can leverage, um, and they will um, provide you with a mentor or a way to to find a coach. Now, speaking a bit about the role of the CISO and how and where it's positioned within an, an organization, what are your feelings about uh, the role of the CISO that's actually part of the IT organization? Um, so I, I don't know that I would say the CISO role is always part of the IT organization. I think depending on the organization, the CISO role falls in different parts of, um, uh, of an organization. At Salesforce, our CISO is is called our Chief Trust Officer, and uh, he sits within our um, technology and product organization. 
And, and this is where we have our engineering and it brings security closer to our engineering resources that are building our, our products and our infrastructure. So I, you know, I, I know sometimes the CISO is sitting in a, a, a IT organization, but I don't know that that's always the case for every single. Yeah. Let, let me just clarify. I'm not saying this is always okay. the case. There are two schools of thoughts, obviously in some mm -hmm. organizations, the CISO st is still a part of IT and, you know, there are obviously pros and cons to that approach. I'm just like wondering what are your personal feelings or thoughts about that specific issue? Because I know it's been, uh, you know, an issue of some debate for the past, whatever, 20 years now. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't believe that the, the CISO should be part of the IT organization. Honestly, I think the CISO should be further up and and be a peer to the IT organization. I think the CISO should be closer to the CEO and the board. Um, more boards are are starting to focus on cybersecurity and uh, are having the CISOs come and brief them. Um, I think it, it's we need to start elevating security within organizations and bringing it um, closer to the top. Okay, thank you for that. Um, is there, um, you know, any common myths about our profession that you wanted to debunk? Um, well, so this one is probably an easy one. Being in uh, incident response, I often have people think that my team is just a bunch of people in a dark basement with wearing a hoodie, or um, people think that you had to go to college to be able to do cybersecurity, or that you have to be extremely technical and. For all three of these um, uh, kind of characteristics, I would say that is not the case. It uh, requires all types of skills, all types of knowledge and personalities to be able to defend an enterprise. And um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be uh, super technical. I've, I've met people in cybersecurity who did go to college, but they went to college for history and they are now super strong in cybersecurity. So I, uh, I would say that, um, you know, if you're interested in cybersecurity, don't shy away from it. We we definitely need all types of um, people and, and skills. Thank you. And in your opinion, what are the main concerns leaders in the industry nowadays have? Uh, so I would say um, I know a lot of CISOs are concerned with ransomware. However, my concern is that CISOs may not be concerned enough and they may not be really prepared. Um, when they start thinking about how their organization is prepared for a ransomware attack, uh, they need to like think of the full playbook. Um, it's a very different scenario to a, responding to an, a, another type of security incident. And there are so many different additional stakeholders that you need to bring into the mix that you may never have had a part of your incident response process. And those stakeholders may not know what to do. Um, they may not know what their role is. Senior, senior decision makers may not know what they're supposed to do or things that they need to think about when they're making a decision. Um, and you need to have a, a way for those decision makers to have some guidance as to how they make the decisions. Um, also, companies may not have the, the established third-party uh, partners that they need in place, whether it's outside counsel or someone to help facilitate um, and uh, with the, uh, a ransomware threat actor or someone to help you with your public relations. All those need to be established beforehand. And I'm afraid that like 
a lot of companies have not gone through thinking fully through how they would respond to a, a ransomware attack. And if they're not prepared, um, it's it's not going to be uh, pretty if if they ever have to to deal with it. And do you think what you just say said applied to uh, all types of companies across the board, or just to smaller, medium-sized businesses? Every single size company needs to to think end to end regarding how do they um, prevent, detect, respond, contain, and um, to a ransomware attack and all the different pieces that go along with it from communication um, to how they make a decision uh, um, and how they would recover from it. And are they prepared to recover from it? Well, uh, while I do agree with you, I just wanted to clarify my question. Uh, I was asking whether or not what you said uh, as, you know, um, is that gap between what organizations have or or should have exist more predominantly in the small to medium-sized businesses? Or do you think it, it exists as well with enterprises large, uh, enterprise-sized companies? I think there's a lot of enterprises out there that are not prepared. Okay, got it. I just wanted to, you know, to, to get that specific yeah. insight. Thank you for that. Um, so, and so we're, we're talking about ransomware and obviously you have some concern there about that. Uh, other areas that in your opinion, CISOs or, you know, leaders in the industry should be focused on right now with the exception of ransomware? Uh, I think that, you know, CISOs have a lot on their plate. And uh, I think what, you know, one of the things that makes a CISO great um, is when they're able to prioritize. And, you know, if you try to boil the ocean and address every single um uh, security control uh, gap that you may have within your organization, um, you're probably not going to be successful. So I think that um, CISOs need to think about being more threat intel driven in their decisions, leveraging the threat intelligence that they're getting about their organization and having that uh, drive the decisions that they're making regarding risk and um, where they make their investments and how they prioritize what they're going to work on when. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel compliance come into the mix? Because sometimes compliance is not, you know, uh, like uh, correlated perfectly to risk, right? But you still need to have it. Yeah. So you definitely have to stay compliant to keep your various certifications. But I would not always say that compliance equals security. And so you can be compliant, but you may not be addressing the gaps that you have uh, again to be able to you know, prevent, detect, respond to what your top threat actors are. Um, so I, you, I'd say that you know you have to do the compliance piece, but on top of that, you should be really weighing the risks of what those top threats are for you. Okay, thank you. Uh, I have a couple. Uh, questions about the role of uh, leaders in the industry, you know, CISOs and and, and otherwise. Uh, and we started talking about the transition of that role, uh, how it was and where it's going. In your opinion, what are the most important skills that leaders in the industries, like CISOs and, you know, all, all of the, the partners or the colleagues that report to the CISO uh, should have nowadays? Yeah, so, you know, I... I, I would say that I'd caveat this with that I'm, I'm not a CISO, but um, I would say that there's a few key skills that they need to have. And, you know, one of them I, I have already mentioned, but first they need to be 
good at understanding risk and making risk-based decision. And I think that goes without really saying. Um, that is, I would say their key job is to make sure they're managing the risk for the company. Second, I would say they need to be able to communicate complicated concepts in layman's terms for non-cybersecurity executives um, and board members. When um, I would say that our executives are getting more savvy as, as are our board members based on you know, cybersecurity being such an important topic for them, um, but they still may not know all the different concepts and, and, um, and uh, you know, acronyms that we use in the industry. So a um, CISO needs to be able to explain these concepts to them in, in terms of risk and business impact. Um, and third, uh, I would say that the CISO needs to be able to hold their team accountable um, and be a good leader. It is a very competitive industry and um, it really comes down to people wanting to work at a place where they respect and believe in their leader, which is the, the CISO for the security organization. And uh, speaking about the leaders uh, in, of, of the security organization, uh, where do you think that role is going? Like, you know, five years from now, do you think that role would look substantially different or more of the same? Um, I would say that it looks uh, more the same, but the position I believe would be elevated as, uh, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, like, I think it needs to be higher up um, based on the importance of the, the role of the CISO and the importance of cybersecurity within an organization. They need to be closer to the CEO and, and the board. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, and what would you think, what do you think we'll, we will see in the cybersecurity world next? Um, I would say we're already seeing it today with uh, AI. Um, everyone is, is researching how can they responsibly and securely use AI for cybersecurity operations. Um, companies are already starting to release products that have AI solutions built in, but um, being in detection response, we are seeing a lot of use cases where we could leverage it to help us make uh, us faster in being able to detect and respond and contain a threat actor. Uh, the challenge, though, is securing the information and ensuring we are training the models with accurate data and that, um, you know, especially when it comes to security uh, incidents, is, is protecting the information with the appropriate access controls so that you still keep the data to need to know. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, what did I have next? So, uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to, in your opinion, who do leaders in the industry follow? And I know you mentioned, uh, you know, mentors, maybe at an earlier stage for you specifically. Uh, but what about today? Like, who do you follow? Who do you look up to? Um, I would say I look up to some of the, the big innovators in the industry. Um, you know, those that have really um, made a huge impact on where we are with cybersecurity. Um, and following them and learning from them um, because they, they tend to stay at the forefront and, and being able to foresee like where we, we're going next and what we need to focus on and what, our, our threat act, uh, what the advanced threat actors are doing. So um, it's really just keeping an eye on some of the, the key, I would say, CEOs of um, the uh, cybersecurity companies that are out on the market.
Okay, thank you for that. Uh, and what would you define as innovation in our space? Um, let me think. So, if from a detection response perspective, it all has to do with how we reduce the the mean time to detect, um, mean time to respond, and also the mean time to contain. And for any of that to happen, we have to have visibility, which is a huge challenge. And then there's also how do we reduce the manual tasks? Uh, however, it all comes down to prioritization and you can't do it all at one time. So you have to look at, you know, what detections do I need to put in place? What logs do I need available? Um, what uh, response playbooks do I need to have develop? What people in process and technology do I need to have in place to, to be able um, to respond? And if you have that, this will help you prioritize where you make your investments. And once you address that, then you can start, you know, boiling the ocean of addressing everything else. Mm -hmm. Okay, so better detection capabilities that would lead to a more focused response uh, approaches. Okay. Yes. Got it. Um, now, we're almost at the tail end of our episode today. Uh, I just had a couple more questions before I let you go. Um, now, consider this. If you were a vendor, what would you do? What do you think is the best strategy in order to connect with the potential customers without uh, a, a customer without uh, bombarding them with, you know, LinkedIn requests and messages and cold callings and all that? Yeah, I, I probably have a laundry list of things that not to do that <laughs> I have experienced. But honestly, it goes back to the relationships, leverage their relationships to get to the right decision maker within the company. Uh, I personally hate cold calling. It's not going to work with me. Um, and especially ones that continuously harass me via email. Um, uh, just a pro tip that I would share that people do not like you calling them out that they did not respond to their last three emails. There's a, probably a reason for that. But uh, you know, I, I like going to um, you know, conferences like RSA where you can roam the expo floor and, and see the new products are out there and learn about them. I know what I need, so I uh, I tend to reach out to the vendors, but I also have a lot of relationships around the industry, and um, they're able to leverage me to get to my peers that they may want to be selling to, or people within my organization will make recommendations to me, um, or even other vendors will you know help do connections. But it, it you know it goes back to what we started at the beginning. It's about relationships, is I would say the best way. Okay, so I think you've answered my next question as well about, you know, it was, what is it that you're looking for in a vendor? But I think I have the answer for that, right? Well, yes, but I would also say I'm looking for a vendor to be a partner. You know, Salesforce has some unique challenges that no other company out there has. And I think that our challenges can help make vendors better, but we need them to partner with us. And if they partner with us, we can have them help us, but we can help make their product better. And which in turn makes the industry stronger because we're all in this fight together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. And so what's the best way to connect with you then online in a non-intrusive manner? <laughs> sure. You, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I also am on Twitter with at security IRP gal, G-A-L. Um, happy to connect in, in either of those two ways. So at security IRP gal, got it. Thank you. And final question, uh, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? 
I would most likely travel the world with my family and um, leverage experiences to do homeschooling for my children, having them learn um, through you know various uh, community projects for for um, communities around the world, and you know learning about different cultures. But um, I probably wouldn't be doing cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for the honesty. Uh... Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Kelly. It was a pleasure talking to you. Any any final notes, anything you wanted to emphasize or, you know, any other piece of advice that you wanted to bestow on us? No, I can't think of anything, but uh, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Thank you so much.